Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I hope everyone is having a good week and didn't have a random SEC program come after them <laughs> on Tuesday afternoon. I think we need to start with that. It, yeah. <laughs> I need just an outside opinion on this one, and I would like everyone else's outside opinion on this one. So Monday, if you're not on Twitter, I envy you deeply. <laughs> So on Monday, the AP poll comes out and I I wasn't even at home. I was like out somewhere and I like took a five second look at the poll, saw UConn drop two spots and saw LSU leapt them and saw that LSU didn't really play anyone. UConn, it's not like UConn played poorly. Well, they did, but it's not like anything that happened with UConn was out of the ordinary. So I tweeted that UConn dropped and then LSU of... uh the LSU that has not played anyone really that good this season. So I said, yes, that LSU jumped UConn in the poll, tweeted it, let left my brain next day. I had Tuesday off. I forgot to charge my phone overnight. So I had my phone in my bedroom. I was out in another part of the house and at like two, three o'clock, I decided to check my phone and all of a sudden, I had a bunch of notifications. And for some reason, LSU Women's Basketball decided that it needed to quote tweet me for a weird one-off comment on a throwaway tweet from the day before because they are now ranked the number three team in the country. Not the number one, not even the number two, but the number three team in the country in the middle of January. Look, if you want to, I, I am not above being made fun of i do it all the time but if you're gonna try and flame someone on twitter i really strongly feel like you should pick a better occasion than being the number three team in the january 16th ap poll yeah (laughs) basically yeah and also just like maybe an official school account shouldn't be this bothered by one person's tweet (laughs) but you know, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> also, it's not like UConn and LSU even crossed paths this year. It's not like they've even yeah. played each other in a meaningful game in 15 years. <laughs> like, they deserve to be made fun of for their schedule. I Like, I, I don't yeah. know what to tell you. You can make an argument that they're a good team, but they haven't proven it. They haven't played anyone. Like, I'm not saying LSU is a bad team. I'm not saying that LSU doesn't, deserve to be up there in the poll but when UConn's played the toughest schedule in the country and has been injured for half of it I mean it's been injured for all of it but let's just consider the players that they knew were going to be available has been injured for half of it and hasn't lost a game in a week and then LSU who has played the worst schedule (laughs) by far of any team even sniffing the top 25 right now leaps them it just doesn't make any sense and you know, I just thought it was one notable thing to tweet from the poll, and then I never thought about it again until, you know, Tuesday. Oh, and and it got worse, too. For some reason, <laughs> they, they then decided to Photoshop a photo of COVID denier and terrible human being, Kim Bulky, <laughs> onto a billboard with that quote. Like, <laughs> my favorite part about that is someone had to waste however much time in their day to put that together. Yeah. <laughs> While I was having an off day, doing off day things, not having a care in the world about what was happening. 
in the women's basketball world. So, uh, a lot of weird things have happened to me on Twitter over the years. Don Staley quote tweeting me one time and saying argue with the alcohol is up there, but this one takes the cake. I I'm just so confused. Why? Why <laughs> LSU women's basketball feels the need to do this. Then like, I assume it's the same person, but like they were like taking laps about the tweet on Twitter and like retweeting themselves about it. It was all just, very bizarre for again a team that is not ranked number one in the middle of january yeah exactly and also a team that i don't know should maybe just keep its mouth shut until they actually play someone real (laughs) also a team that has never done anything they've never won a national championship and purdue has a national championship so clearly it's not that hard to get just one So anyways, uh, I have a new public and like at least South Carolina fans, they're insane, but they've won a national championship multiple times, in fact. So they have, you know, something to back up their insanity. LSU has never done anything. They were in a final four for like four straight years. But, you know, if you don't do anything with that, who really cares? Like when (laughs) Jeff Walls says that his program's done everything except win a national championship, like. Yeah, bud, but the whole point is to win a national championship. Anyways, I'm very yeah. excited for when they inevitably lose in like the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight to Missouri or no, not Missouri State. Is Missouri State the good mid major? One of those like they good have been good in the, yeah yeah Missouri State's been good in the past. I don't know if they're great this year, but yeah, one of those types of schools. <laughs> yeah, so just like what happened last year. <laughs> yeah. It will be interesting. I think we'll learn a lot more about if they're actually any good in the next couple of weeks. They have a couple of the the harder SEC teams coming, not just South Carolina, but Tennessee, which I know people probably don't think Tennessee is that good. I think Tennessee is probably a little better than people think they are. So it will be interesting when we see them play an actual real team because the only thing that resembles a real team that they've played is Arkansas and, well, I think we've made our opinions on that pretty clear. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need to dive back into at least my feelings on Arkansas. But if the one good win that you're citing is Arkansas, then you might want to reevaluate things. It's not like UConn's non-conference schedule is held up as great as it could have been based on the way that things, you know, were supposed to look. But they still have the number one strength of schedule in the country. Mm -hmm. And they're a month-ish into Big East play. So that was certainly something that happened this week. Yep. <laughs> and I'm I'm prepared for their inevitable downfall in March, and it'll be very fun. And if you follow me on Twitter, you may want to mute me on that day. <laughs> but anyways, I think that is more than enough time spent on the community college down in a Southern state. <laughs> Moving on to UConn women's basketball, two games this week and pretty much two of the most polar opposite performances that they could have had. Arguably their worst game, I'd say, of the year against Georgetown. They were just flat, uninspired, looked terrible from not start to finish, but they had their moments in there, but it wasn't pretty. And afterwards, the team kind of seems to say that they felt that all the 
all the injuries and all that were going to pile up at some point and it ended up being Georgetown. But now that we have the benefit of having another game since then, I really have no concern over what happened in terms of the team performance or something else to be concerned about that happened in that Georgetown game. But about that performance specifically after the way they came out and played, honestly, what I think I would argue as if not their best game of the season, number two behind NC state. And I'm really bad at remembering that one because I was dying of the flu while it happened, but all around performance, everybody played well. There wasn't, you could count on one hand how many bad plays they had. Tied their season low in turnovers, went over 100 points for the first time since the 2021 NCAA tournament. Played pretty good defense. And, you know, in a weird way, I don't even think Seton Hall played that bad. Their shots didn't fall, but they were getting good looks and they weren't falling. And for a while, they were playing decent defense. It's not like Seton Hall just rolled over and I, they did later on, but I wasn't watching that game thinking that Seton Hall was just a joke of a team. I thought they played a decent game for a lot of it and UConn still just beat the crap out of them. Yeah, I think that's what was important to remember with kind of both of these Seton Hall teams that they've dominated because I think it's easy to look at the final score and go, well, this Seton Hall's not good, but they are good. They're getting votes in the AP poll. They're a top 50 net team. They've given some of the other Big East teams good run if they they beat Creighton a couple weeks ago so they're a good team but UConn just made them kind of look like not a good team and like you said yesterday I think agreed it's kind of maybe tied with that NC State game just considering the the higher level competition in that NC State game but really just a complete performance on both ends of the floor and I would almost say better than that NC State game because they had AC fun in that NC State game and played that well whereas they played this well yesterday with no AC FUD. Right. That's where it almost feels like it's the equalizer where better opponent, but better options available, lesser opponent, not your top option available. Although they had Dorka in this game and they didn't have right. Dorka in the first one. So that certainly isn't nothing with the way that Dorka Uhas has played. Before yes. we get to AZ, the last thing I wanted to say on Seton Hall was Lauren Park Lane has given them a lot of trouble historically. Really, her breakout game as a freshman, was it her freshman year? No, I think that was, she's a senior, right? Yeah, it might have been her sophomore year. Yeah, well, still, one of her breakout games that year came against UConn. She's put up big numbers against them in the past, and she had nine points in this game. So... You don't have your second best perimeter defender in AZ FUD, but UConn really shut her down the way that they shut down the rest of the Seton Hall offense. So I thought that was a really encouraging sign because Lauren Park Lane, one of the best players in the Big East and certainly a player that I think could play on a lot of different teams in the nation. It's not like she's just someone that, you know, fits into really well, fits in really well to what Tony Bazella does and he just really helps her succeed. No, I, I feel pretty confident saying that she's a really good player, even if she's not necessarily upper echelon of those top 10, 15 players in the country. She's up there still. Yeah, she's a player that's made some of those like national point guard watch lists, a really solid player. And I think a player who had she wanted to play somewhere other than Seton Hall after the last couple of years would have had that opportunity if she wanted to. All right, so now on to the bad. 
Against Georgetown on Sunday, AZ Fudd leaves with a right knee injury. She does not play in the second half, and she was ruled out for the second half. She had a big ice pack on that knee, the same knee that forced her to miss time earlier this season. There's a replay of it. She just kind of bumps into a Georgetown player and immediately kind of grabs for it. I didn't see it happen live, but what I did see happen was there's a timeout. I look up and I see AZ Fudd like coming from the bench with tears in her eye. And that's immediately when the stomach sinks and it's, oh crap, what just happened? Then SNY got the video out pretty quickly to be able to figure it out. But just another blow for her personally and for this team. She doesn't travel with the team down to Seton Hall. The word from the team is that they it was for further testing. My hope is that means wherever they were going to get testing, it wasn't open on Monday because of Martin Luther King Day. And they traveled down to Seton Hall on Monday. So it wouldn't have been possible for her to get down there. And they just wanted her to stay back and rest. That's what my hope is. And not that that's just cover for something more serious. Yeah, that's my hope too, is hopefully it was just like a timing thing with the testing and they couldn't take her to Seton Hall. I do feel like her not traveling the team makes me a little bit more concerned than I was like after she just didn't play the second half on Sunday. I think like in the game it looked it didn't look super serious and you're like, maybe she just bumped it. Maybe it's partially like a mental thing, not just like, you know, being shaken up from coming right back from injury and then having it get tweaked. But I think definitely a little bit more concerned now. I guess no news so far is probably good news. I think if it's bad news, we'll probably get it. So kind of taking no news today is hopefully good news. We found out decently quick the last time how long she was going to be out or the three to six week timeline. Mm -hmm. I think the best case scenario here is like her knee got bumped and it hurt and then it just justifiably freaked her out because she just missed all that time with it before right. she was hurt last year she had that bad knee injury when she was still in high school so maybe it just freaked her out and they decided let's just be cautious with it there's no reason to put her back in this game they're killing them and or they weren't killing them but they're going to win that entire time <laughs> and then let's reevaluate just get the test done, make sure everything's good. And then when she's ready to come back, they're going to be able to bring her back. So I think that's the best case scenario. And I really don't think we need to look at what the other side of that is. Yeah. I don't really want to speculate on what that could be. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just a wait and see thing right now where, like you said, no news is good news because if she was going to be out another three weeks, even that would be something that we get in our emails. But if she's not going to miss any time and she's just going to play on Saturday against Butler, they usually, it's rare that they announce, oh, this player is actually going to play today. So I think just going to be a matter of uh, what happens on Saturday, or maybe we'll find out on Friday if we get to talk to the team then. But either way, it's not the progress that you'd like to see because now, you're set back at least two games without getting AZ FUD back into the mix. Yeah, exactly. I think 
regardless, it's a definitely a setback. Hopefully it's a minor one and not, not a bigger one. But I do think when it's a little bit, I'm sure very frustrating for the team when you're like, things are looking up, you have AZ foot back and then all of a sudden you don't and you're kind of back to that seven players thing they've been dealing with all season long. Well, the good news is that they might not have AZ FUD, but I think it's been pretty clear that they do have a superstar on this team with the way that Aaliyah Edwards is playing and her performance at Seton Hall might've been her best. She was scoring, she was rebounding, but she was also impacting the game on the defensive end with steals. And then she was getting out in transition and running. It was such a complete performance, such a, in terms of basketball, but then also such a great start to finish performance that it really clicked for me, at least watching like, oh, this is why they've been able to survive without AZ Foot because Aaliyah Edwards is playing like one of the better players in the country and they can start to rely on her for 20, 25 points and 10 rebounds pretty much every single game. So you still have that star power and production up top and then everyone else can still kind of slot into their roles below that. Yeah, I think Aaliyah has been such a huge part of that and so much of what we talked about with her game at the beginning of the season was like, can she be consistent? And I think we've definitely seen that. I mean, through this whole stretch, I think pretty much every game she's pretty good for somewhere around 20 points and 10 rebounds and impacting the game pretty consistently on both ends of the floor. So I think that's been so important for this team. But I think it also comes down to not just Aaliyah, but I think what they've been able to get from really all of their starters pretty consistently. I think since Dorka's back, she's been really consistently a double-double for this team. I mean, I think we've talked at length about how I think maybe surprising Lula Pesenichel has been, but she's been consistent night in and night out. Nika Mule, Aubrey Griffin, really all five starting positions they've been able to get so much from. And I think that speaks volumes to once you get players like Izzy Fudd and Caroline Ducharme back, just how good this team is going to be. Right. And it felt like the Georgetown game, they definitely missed Caroline, especially when AZ went out, just because you didn't have that spark that you could bring off the bench. You talk <laughs> about their starters, but right now that's pretty much their rotation. Right. Obviously, Amari DeBerry played really well in her minutes against Seton Hall, had a career high with 13 points and eight rebounds. I'm curious if that gets her more minutes going forward. And Enish Betancourt continues to show that she's a really nice complimentary piece off the bench who can help you out when you need a few to give Nika Mule a few minutes on the bench to get a breather. She can come in and handle things for a little bit, but neither of those players are going to come off and give you a true spark offensively, even with the number of points that Amari scored. I don't think it's fair to say you're going to count on her for 13 points a game. And it's just a different kind of spark. So it's been crucial that all five starters have been playing really well and have been succeeding in their roles a lot. I mean, Aubrey Griffin had a great second half at Seton Hall. Nika Mule continued to do Nika Mule things. And you mentioned Lou Lopez Seneschal was surprising. If you talked about the different potential outcomes for her right when she transferred in, before we had heard anything about her, I probably would have put a higher percent chance on her being a an Evelyn Adebayo type where 
it doesn't really work out because she doesn't make the transition that well from a lower level as opposed to being what she is. I don't think there's any outcome that you could have wanted from her that's better than what you're getting from her right now. She's the only player on the team that has scored double digits every single game. And I'd say in like 90% of those games, she's there in the first half or she gets there pretty comfortably in the second half. It's not like she needs a basket in the final few minutes to do so the way that I think she did against Georgetown, if I'm remembering right, or maybe it was St. John's, but really how much better could she actually be? Yeah, exactly. She's doing it so efficiently too. I mean, she's shooting 50% from three, nearly 50% from the floor, 94% from the free throw line. Just She's been so impressive. Her numbers basically kind of are as good as they almost were at Fairfield, which is insane when you think about it. Yeah, and the whole narrative around her during the preseason was she's really excited not to have to be this go-to scorer and not everything in the offense is going to have to run through her and it's not going to be all on her shoulders that if she doesn't score 15, 20 points a game, her team's not going to win. And here we are all these months later. (laughs) And if she's not doing what she's doing, if she picks some other school that's not UConn and ends up there, UConn's probably still a top 25 team, right? But Mm-hmm. I don't think they're a top 10 team. I don't know how they could be a top 10 team, assuming all the other injuries happen the way that they have. And you just don't have Lou Lopez Seneschal. It's just, it's scary to think about what this team would be looking at right now. If she wasn't there. Well, they would have not played a whole lot of games considering they would not have seven players available to start with. So yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> I know. How but, many yeah. minutes would, Enesh be playing if yeah should be a starting guard at this point <laughs> yeah so yeah no but somehow I thought this was crazy today I was actually looking at the stats and her stats and they're right now even with all of these injuries that they've had in all of these games the number two team in the country on her stats like it's just kind of insane to think about when you've been missing AZ Fudd for half the games you missed Darky Yuhas for a big chunk of games other people here and there and they're still the number two team in the country in the hoops at the rating i know and they're gonna get a chance to be number one because they play south carolina in a few weeks and mm-hmm. uh, i just they need to be healthy for that because it doesn't serve anyone if they aren't it doesn't help south right. carolina that south carolina probably gets a comfortable win it doesn't help yukon that they have to play south eh, it does help yukon Aliyah edwards yeah, going help up UConn against Aliyah boston yeah That'll help, but you still don't get a good measure of where you are as a team from either side if AZ Fudd's not out there. Or even if Ayanna Patterson, I think, could be a really big factor in this game from a rebounding standpoint based on what we saw in the national championship game. And even if you could, is it too much to ask to have like everyone available based on this way this year has gone? Probably, but if you could have the whole front court and AZ Fudd and like the rest of the like guards they have right now, like maybe Caroline's not back by then, but it's just going to be such a different game based on who's there for UConn and who might not be there. Yeah, I really hope we get a fully healthy UConn for that. One, just for this team to actually be fully healthy. And two, I do think like 
as much as you'll be able to take plenty away from it, even if, you know, they aren't fully healthy, I think looking at March and looking at, like, where do these two teams stand and where do they need to work on things, it's so much better for both teams to be able to play at full health and really get that one versus two, or if you want to look at the poll, one versus five, whatever you want to call it, game on under with, like, two fully healthy teams. Yeah, and that rating also kind of matches the eye test of what we've been saying, where UConn's probably the third best team in the country than Stanford lost, so I think that would bump them up to the number two team in the country by the way they've played. And in a weird way, I think... I wonder how much AZ Fudd's return against Georgetown... She did play against St. John's, and they played well, but how much some of what happened against Georgetown was just trying to reintegrate AZ and having to figure everything out again when now you have your centerpiece in the backcourt back out there, whereas they have a lot of experience playing without her and they've got a pretty good formula for playing without her. They, they seem to know how to do that. So obviously any growing pains that come with getting AZ back in the mix are going to be worth it, especially because they're almost certainly going to win those games, but it's, it's just what we've been saying that UConn's a really good team. And if they can get everyone back by that South Carolina game, by the start of February, then I'm not betting against this team to go to the final four, if they stay healthy. And once you get to the final four, it all comes down to how you play in each individual game and how the other team plays. So this week has just been another example of that. And South Carolina is going to be another example of that. And, Tennessee is going to be another example of that, but you just got to stay healthy. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for this team right now is getting healthy and staying healthy. It will be nice that South Carolina won't be the first test that the bigs get. Coming up on Tuesday, the DePaul game got rescheduled, so Anissa Morrow will be coming to Connecticut. I think obviously the big battle is going to be Anissa Morrow and Aaliyah Edwards, but also Dorky Uhas. It's not like Dorky Uhas has played against top competition either because she's been out and UConn really hasn't gone up against some really, really good bigs. So I think I'd focus a little more on Aaliyah in this matchup just because she seems to spend more time directly in the post, but the way that Dorky Uhas responds to having a very, very good player down low along with next to Aliyah Edwards or along with Aliyah Edwards, however you want to say it, the way both of those two play against her is just going to tell us a lot about who this team is. Yeah, I think I'm particularly interested to see how things go on the defensive end and how they're able to guard her in the paint from both Edwards and Uhas in that situation. Because I think really it's the the only time, like we've said, that they're going to get the kind of dominant big that they have to play against until they play Aaliyah Boston in that South Carolina game. So I think this is a good time to to test some of those different strategies in the post and see what works against playing with the, those two playing against Anissa Morrow, especially because on a DePaul team where you've got a little bit more margin for error, you have some time to work things out. And I think that will be very interesting to see. Yeah, before that, they played Butler. We just saw them play Butler. We know precisely what they are going to do against Butler, right? <laughs> yep. 
not going to be very interesting, but that's okay. <laughs> no. That is the week ahead. Then next week is Tennessee. That is mind boggling. Yeah. <laughs> Season goes by so fast once it gets going. Yeah. And look, even if Tennessee isn't the team that we thought they might be at the start of the season, that's going to be a really tough environment to play in down in Knoxville. They haven't had a full crowd at bowling arena, Thompson bowling arena against UConn since Pat summit was still the coach. So you bet they're going to be fired up and jacked up for that game. Yeah, exactly. And Tennessee might not be the top five team that people thought, but I think they're probably as we're learning as they've kind of cruised through the start of SEC play and really kind of righted the ship after some of those, those early season losses. And they did play a, a tough schedule to start the season. They're probably a top 25 team. I don't think they're quite back in the poll yet, but they're getting votes. And they're still probably, you know, tw- top 20, top 25 team. So it's still a good matchup for UConn. It's not like you're going to walk in and come out with an easy victory, but Ayanna Patterson's going to have to get healthy for that one because in the three games UConn's played Tennessee since the series has been renewed, a UConn freshman has been the deciding factor <laughs> in the game. So it's either Ayana or Inesh this year. One of those two. So Ayana's going to have to be back for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. I think they're in trouble if Inesh has to be the deciding factor. I think something has gone wrong. Or it's just the greatest story we've ever seen yeah that <laughs> the other big news of the week was maya moore officially announced her retirement and it really felt like more of a formality than anything else at this point because everything that she said every time she answered the question of are you coming back to basketball the fact that she was never really actively saying yes always kind of felt noteworthy to me if she knew she was coming back that whole time if if she was coming back she would have known that she was coming back that whole time i don't think you step away from two years or for yeah two years three years four going on four years now and if you have that pull to come back and you're saying and you're thinking in your head yeah i really want to get back to this you're gonna let that slip or you're going to hint at that the fact that she was always like i'm just gonna keep seeing where this takes me i think it was pretty clear that she didn't really have that pull to come back because things are going really well for her right now she's married she's got one kid sounds like from one of the interviews that she had during her retirement tour that she there she plans on more coming along the way she's got her organization and She's done everything that she can do in basketball. It's not like she left really any stone unturned. In half the years she played in either college or the WNBA, she won a championship and she won gold medals and she's won MVPs. She's won national players of the year. She's done it all. Now she's more than happy to step to the next phase of her life and she's earned it. Yeah, exactly. I think she's won everything there is to win at this point. And I kind of agree as much as yeah, it became official on Monday. I think we all kind of knew that like it would have been a much bigger surprise if she now came out and announced that she was returning to basketball. Um, so 
it's official, but I think not really shocking to anyone to hear that we've seen the last of her on the court. It is pretty, pretty crazy though, that she only played eight years in the WNBA considering I was, I just did the math on this one. This is going to be Brianna Stewart's eighth year coming up in the WNBA and Granted, there was the year that she missed due to the Achilles, but still eight years that she has been in the WNBA, even if it's not her eighth season. Imagine Brianna Stewart just walking away after this. And like, look at how dominant Brianna Stewart's been in the WNBA. And she has two championships. Maya Moore had twice this many at this point in her career because she didn't win it in her last year, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right, she she did not, I don't think. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, 2017 was her last, and 2018 was her last minute, was her last uh, season. So yeah, no, it's crazy. Also, the fact that it's going to be Stewie's eighth year is making me feel a little old, but <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, equally another crazy part of this. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. We're about to run out of our minute on Zoom, so... That'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.